Welcome to episode four of the Bear Market Brief podcast. I'm your host, Aaron. There's an apocryphal story about Russian President Boris Yeltsin. He was once evidently asked, if you had to describe Russia's economy in one word, how would you describe it? The president thought for a second and said, good. The same questioner followed up. Now, if you had to describe it in two words, how would you describe it? President Yeltsin thought again and said, not good. The BMB Russia and Ukraine team is almost in its fifth year covering political and economic events in the region. We've talked about a lot of micro-level, close-to-the-ground stories over the years, but today I want to step back and ask the question, how is Russia's economy actually doing? Joining us to help answer that question is Ivan Tkachov, economics editor at RBC, or RBK in Russian. It's the largest independent news organization in Russia, and he's headed the economics news desk there since 2015. We had a great conversation and hope you enjoy. Hi, Aaron. Great to hear you. And I'm really glad to, to take part in this podcast. Thank you for having me. Great. So let's get straight to business here. Uh, obviously, coronavirus is... A real challenge for a lot of economies worldwide, uh, not least among them Russia. So I want to talk about how serious the impact is for Russia's economy, and then we'll pivot to how Putin and his team are responding. Uh, but first, h- how bad is this? <laughs> well, uh, we're in a lockdown in Moscow. I'm, I personally am sitting at home uh, for a, I guess, third month already. So it's pretty, you know, psychologically uh, difficult, I think. Well, uh, but well, let's see how it will be evolving, because the government hopes uh, to start easing the lockdowns in uh, in the near future, and the economy ministry actually uh, assumes that the lockdowns will be fully lifted by September, maybe. So, but but we we will I think we would have. Uh, some tough months ahead, of course. <laughs> yeah, you're not so, you're not kidding. So I guess the to drill down, uh, where is the impact being felt most? And I guess to to what extent is the issue the virus, um, and to what extent is it what's happening with oil? Where do you draw the line? Yeah. Um, so actually, we've uh, had a pretty tough April when the economy fell around 25 or up to 30% in nominal terms. That was the first official statistics about how the economy performed in April. In April, when President Putin, as far as you may, you may be know, announced non-working days, and the, when the full effects of lockdowns in Russia, across the Russia, you know, started to be felt. Um, so basically, basically, the consensus now is that Russian economy will be, of course, in the recession this year, with real GDP falling around maybe 5%. And that is, that is in line with the recently released uh, forecast by the economic ministry. So, so given that the average annual growth rate since 2015 uh, was less than 1% bef- even before the pandemic crisis, so you'll have even lower average rates approaching to zero over, the, over this period. So, and real GDP is not expected to recover to 
2019 levels until probably 2022. So we won't have a V-shaped recovery in Russia. Um, investments would be hit especially hard, I think. And we, you know, in Russia, there is the tradition to protect large businesses. Of course, large businesses won't be hurt much during this crisis because the government will, in any case, help them and will support them. But what is more important is the effects on uh, small and medium enterprises uh, because they actually account more than 20% of the economic activity in Russia now. Um, they have a big employment. Because many people work in these sectors. Uh, but really, small and medium businesses are struggling right now because um, and many, many of them will just be lost forever, I think. Uh, so there is risks, risk of longer-term consequences for this sector, first of all. With the most affected sectors, of course, uh, like, um, you know, retail, uh, some service sectors, um, and so on. Well, also, I think that uh, we can have uh, some some crisis of bad debts um, because um, people see their incomes declining because of small and medium enterprises just shut down, get shut down. So they're, even though they are formally prohibited from Know, firing people outright or lowering wages, but there are plenty of loopholes uh, to do this and to cut costs at a time when business revenues just slump. So those people, those workers, will likely stop servicing their bank loans like retail loans or mortgages, and also small businesses themselves would likely have some difficulties with servicing their debts. So, so we can really see spike in non-performing loans, and that's the you know second point that I I'd like to stress. So, first of all, we have a real risk to see the wave of bankruptcies in small and medium businesses and small business. Um, second, uh, the crisis really can turn into the crisis of bad debts. Um, so it probably would affect the banking sector. But so far, there is no liquidity crisis in Russia's banking sector. So far, the banking system fares pretty well um so we'll see we'll see how it evolves yeah that's a lot of a lot of aspects to this and i remember that uh, small and medium-sized businesses struggled uh, during the last crisis too so unfortunate although that's not necessarily unique mm -hmm. to russia i think that's happening here in the states too um, but let's let's turn to how russia's government is responding so far, we talked about lockdowns, again, similar to how many countries are responding. Um, I know Russia has a, fair, a fairly large kind of rainy day slush fund exactly for things like this. What measures uh, have or haven't been taken? And um, I've read that there hasn't been a, a very clear, clearly planned approach to helping small businesses. Why might there be um, hesitation to do that? So as far as... Uh... You maybe know um, the Russian government has enacted uh, three consecutive packages of economic support so far. So they, uh, the total fiscal stimulus uh, in terms of direct spending as well as loan guarantees for companies and tax breaks and tax deferrals is now approaching 
3 trillion rubles or just under 3% of GDP projected for this year. So 3% of GDP is not really a big deal. This is way less than stimulus programs in major developed countries. And I believe this year we'll only see probably the fourth package, package of support, but no more. And it could total another maybe 500 or 700 billion rubles, so less than previous rounds of anti-crisis support. Because I, I guess we are now approaching the limits of what the government can do to help businesses and ordinary people. Um, as for the uh, reserve fund or the national wealth fund, um, the problem is that it now actually totals around 8 trillion rubles. Um, so, um, but the problem is that according to the fiscal rule, according to existing fiscal rule, you uh, just can't spend it on things other than compensation of lost oil and gas, gas revenues. So probably at the end of this year, the, na the National Wealth Fund will still amount to more than 7 trillion rubles, um, which is, as far as you can see, will be sufficient you know, to, to solve all the problems for this year economic problems. Um, and at current oil prices, which is, I think, 30 to 35 per barrel of Euros Russia's oil, um, the National Wealth Fund will be sufficient for actually six to seven years. Um, but the government is not, just doesn't want to alter its fiscal rule, to alter or suspend it. There, is, there has been much talk recently about unleashing broader spending from the National Wealth Fund, but the finance ministry, minister's logic is quite conservative in this respect. So they are not going to have uh, the reserve fund just zeroed in a couple of years. Um, they perhaps try to think longer term and you know preserve trust of global credit rating agencies. So they, they assume that if they abandon the fiscal rule, rating agencies may probably again cut Russia's ratings to below investment grade and therefore borrowing costs would be higher than now. So and the yield on Russia's government debt is quite volatile, you know, so they uh, they are afraid of borrowing costs spike uh, maybe in, in future potentially. So uh, the, the, the general problem is that, you know, the existing fiscal rule puts significant constraints on additional spending, on additional anti-crisis spending. So you have some sort of paradox when you have really ample fiscal reserves, but they cannot be fully spent uh, to fight the crisis. Um, there has been some talk recently about possible relaxation or even suspension of the fiscal rule, but so far there is no absolutely no consensus within the government on this, and finance ministry is still strongly opposed to even touching the fiscal rule, because the fiscal rule is regarded as the key factor of macro-stability that Russia has gained over the past years. So I think... That's as good a segue as any, uh, talking about uh -huh. uh, macro stability, um, to transition to what happened before the virus. And the reason I want to do this uh, for listeners is that 
BMB Russia, we've covered lots of stories in very micro detail, but mm -hmm. I think it would be a help to take stock of kind of where Russia's economy was, where it stood, how it was doing uh, before the virus hit. So in a couple words, if you can, mm -hmm. how was Russia's economy doing? So that's a good question. Actually, I almost forgot how the economy was performing before the pandemic. It seems that it was a very long time ago. But, but seriously, seriously, the economy fared not very well even before the current crisis. For example, last year it grew only 1.3% underperforming compared to initial goals set by President Putin and the government. So last year, basically, we already had exports slow down due to worsening conditions in commodities markets. Um, and one should not forget that commodities still uh, account for three quarters of Russia's total exports. And the exports, the Russia's exports has been diversifying very slowly. So we had already weaker consumer spending due to poor growth of real disposable incomes. So by the way, real incomes in Russia at the end of last year was 7% lower than in 2013 before the Crimean-Ukrainian crisis. And following projected decline for this year, the real incomes will be probably 11% lower than before 2013. So we had already many years of actually real disposable incomes decline. So and Third, last year, one of the main themes about the economy was record budget underspending, which affected GDP growth negatively already last year, and particularly underspending on national project, projects, which were in the first and rather tough year, with all such chronic problems, you know, as bureaucracy, poor coordination between ministries, the cumbersome process of getting approved, multiple approvals and clearances for the projects going ahead and so on. So until the current crisis, we had tight fiscal policy coupled with pretty tight monetary policy. And by the way, you know, uh, what is interesting is that uh, some good economists had predicted already late last year that the economy could deepen to recession. So even before any pandemic crisis. Um, so what, what maybe is, can be regarded as positive thing about current crisis is that the government finally starts to, you know, to ease its fiscal policy a bit, a little bit. And the central bank, the central bank actually has turned to full large scale monetary easing. So what was an unimaginable before this year, I think. Because, you know, uh, if, ne if the next month the central bank uh, slashes its key interest rate 100 basic points to 4.5%, as predicted, uh, actually we'll see real interest rates in Russia approaching to zero, which was, again, just unimaginable last year when the monetary policy was pretty tight. So, you know, maybe... This crisis, as every crisis, I think, will bring some positive changes in this respect, because before such uh, dramatic events, you know, neither the government nor the central bank had enough guts, you know, to actually unleash spending, unleash, you know, this monetary easing and so on. 
I think this is an interesting point that I'd like to ask a little more about. Um, listeners may or may not be familiar, but uh, Russia's finance ministry and the central bank are, I would say, pretty well known for being very conservative, uh, very hawkish, exactly. uh, not taking you know, bold policy steps. Uh, why, in your opinion, is that the case? Is there you know, a certain experience that defines their understanding of economics? What makes them hesitant? Um, you know, it's interesting questions because, frankly speaking, um, I'm asking this question, you know, for 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 the past years because I think that it's actually a, a paradoxical situation when you have, uh, on the one hand, very strong, very credible macro stability policies, fiscal and financial stability policies. Uh, so, which is, of course, you know, finance ministry and central bank should be credit credited for this. On the other hand, you have pretty bad, pretty poor pro-growth policies and growth-building institutions. So you have a really world-class macro-stability policies and, you know, the uh, economic growth policies at par with maybe some, you know, developing countries or so. So why why is, the, is it so? Uh, well, probably there are different hypotheses on that. Well, first of all, probably... After 2013, you know, Russian state um, has faced situation when they have many perceived external threats. So they just needed to build this, you know, financial fortress. They institute, they uh, installed the new fiscal rule, uh, which, by the way, was the perhaps most important implication of the previous crisis. I mean, of the crisis of 2013 and with oil prices slump and so on. Uh, and the fiscal rule has helped ruble, Russian ruble, to become less volatile and less uh, sensitive to oil price fluctuations and so on. Um, so that was really one, one positive change that the previous crisis brought. Of course, um, you know, that as for the Russia's central bank, it was, uh, you know, it's my main task was to bring inflation levels to its target, which was established um, in 2013, I think, which is 4%. 4%. Uh, and that's too, uh, was unimaginable just in previous years, because actually for the most part of its modern history, Russia lived on the double-digit inflation. So that was the great achievement of the central bank, bank that it really brought the inflation levels to its targeted level of 4%, I think. Yeah, that's uh, no small feat. Um, and I remember uh, back when last crisis hit, uh, the efforts, the interest rates that uh, the bank resorted to to, to get yeah. inflation under yeah. control. Um, but before we turn to the last series of questions, so you talked about stability um, I would ask related whether, trying to be optimistic here, uh, whether there were any bright spots or are any bright spots for Russia's economy right now. And then I guess uh, not to maybe dive too far in, but to what extent sanctions have really hurt? Because that's in Western policy circles discussed all the time. Yeah, I see. So as for the bright spots or the strong areas, well, well first of all, this is the this the very financial and fiscal stability framework uh, which we just talked about, which has been su successfully installed and implemented over the past years. 
um, because as far as you know, Russia has amassed ample fiscal reserves, as well as central bank gold and foreign exchange reserves. Uh, Russia's public debt is very low, one of the lowest in the world. The budget policy has been quite responsible and credible, uh, although quite restrictive in terms of economic growth, as, as I have already said. The total external debt, including corporate debt, has been declining since 2014. So there are plenty of macroeconomic aggregates that helped uh, Russia, you know, to win praise from credit rating agencies or inflation, as I, as I have already said. Um, and ruble, by the way, ruble has also been rather bright spot recently because it fares surprisingly well despite uh, much lower oil prices. And, you know, it's, it's moderate, moderately weakened during the past months. But it's weakening falls short of, you know, the oil price slump that, that we have seen. Well, maybe in sectoral perspective, um, I think service economy is performing pretty well. I mean, consumer service sector has been booming in Russia, especially in large cities like Moscow. Uh, I mean, you know, food delivery, taxi apps, digital services, which are on the rise. Among more traditional sectors, Food production sector is quite okay, supported by Russia's food embargo against the West and a policy of input substitutions. Banking sector is in relatively good shape too, following you know banking sector cleanup by central bank. Um, as for the weak spots, I think that you know everything that concerns the broader economy is quite weak. I'd say, and of course one should not forget about you know some longer-term structural structural problems that have been marred Russia's economic performance over the past years, um, such as, you know, we had pretty bad demographics, particularly what is what concerns limited and shrinking labor force um, due to population aging. And by the way, you know, the retirement age reform that... Uh, has been instituted a couple of years ago has helped to ease this demographic pressure, but it can't reverse it, really. Um, we have consistently low private investment. And by the way, this year, uh, total investment in fixed capital is expected to fall 20% in the official forecast by economic ministry. So it would be the worst performing indicator, actually, among the macroeconomic aggregates. And of course, you know why private investment is low in Russia? It's because of these chronic problems such as lack of trust towards, towards their state policies, high tax burden, it's regulatory, regulatory burden. Uh, and of course, you know, all those issues related to law enforcement and security bodies, pressure and rates and so on, and uh, many, uh, many businessmen going to jail and so on. So actually, weak spots are, there are many, many more weak spots, and I think they're more than, you know, bright spots, actually. Yeah, that sounds uh, bleak, if I had to, to summarize it in one word. And just for, for listeners um, who may be less familiar with the economic terms, uh, fixed capital investment matters, because that's factories and machinery that will drive growth in the future. About your uh, question about sanctions, of course. Oh, yes, absolutely. This is important, I think. Um, 
because you know sanctions have been i think relatively minor factor affecting the economy over the past years and probably these days sanctions effects are statistically nearly insignificant um you know the international monetary fund has estimated that sanctions have reduced russia's gdp growth only uh, 0.2 percentage points in average since 2013 so it's not a big deal really now it may be even less i think uh and we have not had any major us or european union sanctions escalations since 2018 episode with uh, russal sanctions um dollar ruble exchange rate uh was very sensitive to sanctions news just a couple of years ago but now it has no any sanctions premium premium anymore um yes some sanctions were designed as having you know long longer term effects uh for example sanctions that prevent access of russia's russian oil and gas companies to high end extraction technologies um but on the other hand until recently we saw you know record oil production levels in russia with declines attributable only to recent apec plus deal checkup production and as for sanctions that limit access to western financing they too have rather small effects because russian corporates have been deleveraging in terms of external funding but on the other hand what is important and what i want to stress that if you look at it broadly and for example as a thought experiment compare actual situation with i don't you know hypothetical ideal russia which has never waged any proxy war in ukraine or elsewhere has not undertaken any military adventures abroad and has been maintaining you know pretty good relations with the west and so has not been subject to any sanctions so in this counterfactual alternative history you would inevitably inevitably have much stronger growth rates for the economy of course uh mainly because of significantly higher foreign direct investments uh because in fact they are negligible negligible now uh russia has little genuine foreign investment from western countries and this of course seriously limits economic growth it sounds like they did have an impact um but maybe yeah. not to the extent yeah. that is i guess popularly perceived yeah so they do running- effect yeah we're running a little short on time here so just want to ask as a final question although this may be a a big question for for the last couple minutes uh but turning towards the future mm-hmm. uh putin has stated a goal of beating average global growth um there's bold national projects designed to ostensibly boost growth but mm-hmm. is any of that possible um well I think you would not see growth rates consistently above 3% as Putin initially said this goal you know to achieve a growth above 3%. So you wouldn't have such growth rates without the reforms without the serious reforms aimed at less pressure from the law enforcement and more trust for the state. Uh it wouldn't happen just because you know private investments wouldn't jump start. Um so in Russia we have a long term potential growth rate capped at just on the 2%. Uh 
uh, of course, you can have some rebound uh, after the crisis recedes with rates maybe exceeding the 3% uh, in one year, for example. But I doubt that we will have consistently higher growth rates without without those reforms, of course. So, I, I mean, maybe in these terms, uh, this crisis brings the opportunity to implement some longer-term pro-growth, pro-business policies. Uh, because, you know, the positive thing about this crisis is that Russian government actually is you know, liberal, liberalizing conditions for business. Uh, it is a temporary liberalization, of course, uh, because, you know, it has to do this right now. Uh, the government gave waivers to Russian firms in terms of government inspections, tax checks. Um, it decided to automatically extend uh, licenses and authorizations needed to run business continuously. It is actually reducing tax burden temporarily by providing tax breaks. Uh, and it abandoned most regulatory checks for this year, thus reducing administrative burden for the businesses. As far as I have already said, you have unprecedented easing of central bank and bank monetary policy. So I think that probably uh, we can hope that this crisis, crisis could bring some positive changes if, for example, those policies, which designed to be temporary for now, could, you know, be prolonged or, you know, could stay for longer term even after the crisis recedes. So I think that that would be the chance chance to, you know, to bring some positive reforms, reforms aimed at um, stronger growth, I think. Well, that's a great optimistic note to finish on. So let's hope that this crisis does become an opportunity. Ivan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate you uh, having you here. Thank you. Thanks again to Ivan for coming by, and thanks to you, listener, for joining us. Don't forget to follow BNB Russia and Ukraine on Twitter at the handle Bear Market Brief. BNB is a project of the Foreign Policy Research Institute, a nonpartisan think tank in Philadelphia. For more information about this and other initiatives, be sure to visit fpri.org. We'll catch you next time.